Well, Joe, that escalated quickly. How did we get here? Again? We're here again? Uh, is it any different? Don't know. Um, Why don't you condense for us everything you wrote 15 years ago into two paragraphs or less? So. <laughs> It's like it, I'm having flashbacks to Nam all week long. Well, um, I can condense it into something even further back than that. Uh, first, I think was, was he the first Israeli prime minister, David, David Ben Gurion, in October 1948, said that the Arabs of the land of Israel have only one function left to them to run away. 1948. What is that? That's 75 years later. Um, they're still saying that and, and they're kind of maybe making good on it this time, you know. But that's been the Israeli policy for uh, since the creation of the State of Israel is, is spoken by the Israeli Prime Minister at the time, David hey. Ben-Gurion. The Arabs of the land of Israel have only one function left to them to run away. And of course, by the land of Israel, it means Palestine, everything, it means all of it. Uh, so the Arabs that happen to be living on this, have been living on this land of Israel, for countless generations, have only one function left to them. Run away. Because otherwise you'll be killed. Is, is 1948. That, yeah. That's pretty much what, what, what all of it, this is in service of, hmm. ultimately. Um, Israelis know perfectly well that they're getting hammered in the press now, relatively, um, because just bombing them out alone isn't... They could do it. I mean, they've got the means to do it, but there's always, of course, an issue of mm-hmm. what's going to happen to us from other countries. Um, that's one issue. Can we, do, can we do it and get away with it in terms of not having missiles rain on our heads? Yeah. The other issue is, can we do it and world public opinion accept it? And that's, the, that's what keeps them from just doing it outright. But the idea would be that they just voluntarily leave, I suppose. Well, run away under Israeli bombs, right? Yeah, give up, give up the ghost, just just leave, you know. Um, and then you know, I wonder that's prob- that probably that ha- probably it does. Of course, it does pass through the minds of Palestinians. It always has. I mean, that w- w- what was um, Sirhan Sirhan doing in in America back in nineteen sixty eight? He's a Palestinian refugee. He's left. He's from his, maybe his parents did, or more than him personally, but. Um, they have left. They've left all the time. They always do have that choice to leave, and they do. Um, there, are mil- there are two million of them in Jordan to this day, descendants of one million in Egypt, uh, half a million in Lebanon, that's, and that's just the uh, contiguous neighboring countries. But they're all over the place, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they have left, but there's still a lot of them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why don't they leave? Well, it, it's it. The answer is actually if people, if people were managed to keep a level head this week and watch the sequence of events, there's an the answer to that question is inherent in what just happened in the last say forty eight hours. A million they, Israel made an ultimatum. Said right, uh, everyone in north of some point, specifically Gaza City, the main metropolis to the north of Gaza Strip, you have twenty four hours to evacuate or else. And they began doing so in the thousands. And Israel bombed the convoy. 
killing mm-hmm. about 150 people, injuring about mm-hmm. 800, 800 or so yesterday. I mean, some of the convoys are so, it's, it's brutal. I mean, they're not like in trucks that you're not sure what else might be in the truck. You know, No, they're in open flatbed trucks mm-hmm. on the back of them. Mm-hmm. Kaboom. That has stopped the evacuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So you see, the, the, they want to believe, but um, maybe they don't either because they want them to stay really what they really want is for them to stay because if they all leave, who's Israel going to have to to blame? Iran. Iran is asked too far away. Remember, Israel is surrounded by enemies, you know? Yeah. Supposedly. But, uh, no, well, the idea is to move, yeah, to threaten to a million of them, you know, to try and force a million of them to leave. I mean, and this is in the advance of the upcoming, sure, they bombed that convoy or whatever, but, uh, you know, I think, we'll have to wait and see if how many, I mean, people are moving south, it seems, but, like, the strategy seems to be that, you know, move, move a million people south because their plan is, because Gaza City is in the north, which is, quote-unquote, Hamas's stronghold, and the plan is to take Hamas's stronghold, um, which is really like the top half of Gaza. So you're talking about 10 by ten by few, five miles or something, a piece of land, um, to take that and, and keep it, you know. Uh, I don't imagine that the Israelis would... This is what this actual land invasion, like the tanks, the soldiers planning to come in, and they're slightly stalled right now because of weather and I guess it's a bit rainy or there's air clouds, so because they need air cover for this invasion into the north half of, half of Gaza, <clears throat> so it'll be a day or two before they kick off um, and their plan is to move in there, and I think and I don't think they're going to be leaving, you know, I think they're basically going to split Gaza down the middle and keep, keep the north half, half of Gaza uh, the people who haven't left before then will be killed or will at that point be forced to, to flee to the south of this little strip of land. Um, and then Israel will, will take northern half of Gaza. And then you'll have two million people in half the size. So that'll catapult Gaza to pretty much like the most densely populated place in the world or, or thereabouts. And, uh, and it'll be much more difficult. And then from there they expect that you know, life will be so difficult in half the amount of land of, of Gaza for this more or less same number of people that then there'll be a humanitarian crisis. They just won't want to stay there. And then eventually, I think their plan is, you know, well, they can go, they can go anywhere. They, Israel or Egypt might maybe under the right conditions open the border uh, and let the Gazans leave and then they might go to Jordan or, or wherever from there. Um, so I think that's basically the Israeli plan. The Israeli plan from the beginning was, I mean, the British plan all along for quite a number of years has been that something has to be done about Gaza. And there's an opportunity now to um, to make it a reality, to make Gaza, to empty Gaza, basically, and uh, just, you know, incorporate it into Israeli territory. It's just this little, if you, you obviously know the map, you know, so it's just this little enclave within, technically, Israeli territory. Um, so that just shouldn't be there anymore, basically. So that's, that's the idea. I think you mentioned the that they've delayed yeah the New York Times says the invasion plan was initially for this now this weekend but was delayed by a few days at least in part because of cloudy conditions mm. um, that would have made it harder for ground forces to have air cover 
Bloomberg's reporting that, um, who knows who, a source in Washington is worried that, in fact, there's a proper lack of strategy and a coherent plan for the ground invasion. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, lack of strategy? Well, I think the strategy is that it's just to empty the northern half of Gaza. Yeah. Of the Gaza Strip. Uh, sure. I mean, they really don't need much of a strategy. It's just go in and shoot everything that moves. And, in fact, you know, they've... Uh, You'd be you'd be shocked, I'm sure, to hear that uh, that the IDF has loosened its rules of engagement for this upcoming um, invasion of Gaza. Now, the IDF had very loose rules of engagement uh, to begin with, but yeah. uh, this is reported by the by the Telegraph. Um, it just it says that the Israeli army has reportedly loosened its rules of engagement ahead of the expected ground invasion. We're going to get that up. Um, this would be the first minute now from Scotty, maybe. This would be the first oh, time since two thousand and eight that the Israelis have actually done a ground invasion. It's yeah. all in air raids in the meantime. This is it here. Um the Israeli army has reportedly loosened its rules of engagement ahead of the expected ground invasion into the north of the Gaza Strip amid heightened concerns of the level of civilian casualties the offensive could cause. So <laughs> that's that's kinda weird. Uh, so there's already heightened concerns over the level of civilian casualties defensive could cause, so the Israelis decide to loosen the rules of engagement, which means three unnamed senior Israeli military officers told the New York Times that the loosened rules will allow Israeli soldiers to make fewer checks before shooting at suspected enemies. Yeah, basically anyone alive behind the fence. Yeah. And that would that would fit with a military strategy, clear the place of civilians and whoever's left, ergo, is justifiably Hamas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, 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 there's a few things to square here. One is, if Hamas, it's, if it's all Hamas and, oh, Jesus, let's not even, Hamas last week um, invaded Israel, right? In quotes. Mm. That's, that's what they're going with, okay. Mm. Um, it was 1,500 fighters um, killed, the now they're saying 1,300 people got as far west as practically just below the West Bank. Um, took days to get rid of them, clear them out, whatever. If they're capable of doing that, right, oh, uh, and there's some interesting details that come out. They shot down helicopters. That's never happened before. Israel's always had clear control of the skies. Mm-hmm. So in one incident on the day okay. of, um, IDF military helicopter tried to transport troops south and was shot down. They survived because they managed to land. But um, So if you're going to go in and, all, and you've cleared it of civilians and it's an open, it's a, it's say a, uh, an open theater between the two forces, they're going to they're lose a lot of people. Mm. Or if they don't, then who the hell did that last week? You know what I mean? How do you square up the incredible tactics Hamas could pull off last week? Militarily speaking, I know there were atrocities. Mm. I'm not, you know, supporting or defending it, <clears throat> say. But if that's what they're capable of, um, I'm just wondering maybe if that's in the back of their minds about why they're stalling here. Do they, do, do they know? If, if they didn't know what was about to happen last week, do they really know for sure? What's underground? What capabilities are behind the fence? 
No, but they'll go in. You know, I mean, they've gone into Gaza before and they, they, they didn't work out very well. Of course, they killed a lot of people and stuff, but it didn't work out very well for them. So they're all leery about going into Gaza. But I suppose they think that they've kind of prepared the ground sufficiently with our bombing campaign over the past week uh, that it'll be it'll be okay. Now we'll have to wait and see, you know. But um, that's why they want people out of there. You know, they're telling people get out, everybody get out. You know, just leave the fighters, whatever. Yeah. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. I've seen a map of the specific sites. It wasn't just random. There were specific um, neighborhoods Mm -hmm. they targeted. Of course, yeah. Um, And it's by no means, like, assuming this map is accurate, it's kind of like a, based on a heat map of destructed um, destroyed targets. It's by no means like every every standing building so far. No. And the death toll so far, I think officially it's like around two two, two, two and a half thousand thousands. Um, what killed? Or killed? Killed and injured? I think it's just killed. Nine thousand injured. Hmm. Um, well, there's still we, two million people. <clears throat> well, I mean, the question of um, the question of how it actually happened is is a big one. We've, you know, people have probably seen reports from a couple of people who are members of the Israeli Defense Forces, women actually saying like, "Listen, we worked on that border, and there's no way that uh, this couldn't have been noticed." You know, um, there's a, there's a graphic here. Um, you can look at uh, of the actual outline, you know, of, of all along that border, all along the, uh, the eastern border of Gaza. The whole thing's about twenty-five miles long, um, and you have, you know, you have got, got this three hundred meters of no man's land between Gaza, uh, Gaza proper, and then you have uh, a series of watchtowers all the way along, and then you've got a, a, a kind of concrete area of 100 metres up to a fence that's 6 metres, 20 feet tall, razor wire, and then behind that on the other time, we have other side you have a watchtower with cameras. Um, and the bar- and those, those watchtowers as well have remote-controlled arm systems that actually can identify targets and shoot at them without anybody actually being there. And they didn't even work, it seems. Uh, it doesn't seem to be any reference to those having worked as well, let alone anybody actually noticing what, the, what Hamas was doing and... Um, People have to understand this, that Israel has taken, you know, serious precautions. And, and in fact, also on that border wall, uh, there's, a, it's, there's an underground metal wall on the second fence that goes an unknown depth in the underground, and it's got sensors to detect any kind of tunnels or any, any digging, any, any activity. Like, so if a mole starts digging a hole, you know, it'll something, anything bigger than a mole digging a hole, um, a tunnel will um, will be detected. So, I mean, there's been the case for, 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 for years and years now, you know, probably like, I think it's probably close to 20 years that's been the case at this level of infrastructure all along the border with Gaza. And of course you have troops stationed in those towers, stationed along there, and stationed very close to, behind that wall on the Israeli side, uh, troops in barracks. You know, with tanks and, you know, and very, and it's a very relatively small area. You know, you can get, you can get planes, you can get um, helicopters, Apache helicopters, all that kind of stuff in there within a very short period of time. So what seems to have happened last weekend was that um, in the early morning, Hamas just walked through that totally unopposed to the extent that they themselves were surprised. They expected to meet some kind of resistance because there's people, there's guys who are, who are involved in that who reported, they said like we were just amazed that we were just, here we were out in the open, we're out of Gaza now and there was nothing happening, so we just kept going. And, um, and it went beyond further to an actual base. Yeah, they went to a base and they found a few people, a Kill, number of people killed, sleeping. Captured everyone there. All of them sleeping. A lot of them, a lot of them sleeping anyway, or in their beds. Um, so, 
It just doesn't make any sense that they could have done this unopposed in the way that they did without there being some kind of a stand-down order um, on the part of the Israelis, which suggests, obviously, uh, Israeli foreknowledge of the planning. And, of course, we had the report that Egypt, seems to be nobody disputed that, that Egypt claimed that they told the Israelis that something big was happening. And, of course, people say, well, what do you mean something big? Could be what, well, when, or who, when, what, why, when, whatever. Um, that that's not good enough information. But it is for the Israelis. If the Israelis get word from the Egyptians that over the next week, let's say, or in the next X number of days, something big is going to happen, they're going to be on full alert. That watchtower, that, 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 that border, all those border posts are going to be on, on, on heightened alert. So it's just, the whole the idea is ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it reminds me of 9-11 in a certain sense. There were standout orders, appear to be standout orders of confusion, confusion ar- around the American response to the 9-11 attacks, uh, which is, you know, it doesn't surprise me then that this is called uh, Israel's 9-11, you know what I mean? And it's actually quite true, if, as long as you understand what yeah. 9-11 was. It's true with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah with, with a footnote, you know. Um, so, and, and why, would, why would they do this? Well, you know, Israel needs justification and this is the thing that people can't, can't get their head around, right? Israel needs justification, has had for a very long time a p- problem with Palestinians. They needed some kind of solution to the Palestinian problem, the fact that they had stolen Palestinian land. They were had expropriated Palestinian land, you know, 75, 80 years ago, brought in a load of Israelis, basically ethnically cleansed the P- Palestinians from large parts of the land that they'd lived on for hundreds of years. But they didn't get rid of them all. And the populations grew over the years, whatever you end up with, having places like Gaza and the West Bank. And those people stand as a testimony to Israel's, the, the immoral, let's say, the, or, yeah, the immoral nature of the, the state of Israel in terms of its foundation, what, what it, how it was created. It was created on, on an immoral basis. And the existence of these Palestinians, who are the people who owned the land beforehand, stand as testimony, living testimony, living, walking, breathing, talking testimony to Israel's lack of... Um, Israel's lack of right to exist in the way that Israel exists today, which, you know, because people say, does Israel have a right to exist? What do you mean Israel? I'm not talking about Jews here. They seem to, they, people seem to conflate that with, or it seems to me that it's conflated with Jews have, like, like Holocaust, yeah, or, Jews' right to exist. But the, the literal... So what you're saying the, is... No, but the literal question is, does yeah. Israel, the state, have a right to exist as it's... Well, that's what they say. With the basic they say everybody has to agree with that. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. What is the basis or the foundation of the state of Israel? How was it founded and how is it, how is it pro- continued in its statehood from then until today? Well, it was founded on the expropriation, the illegal expropriation of uh, another people's land. And over the years since then, the continued theft of those land against international law. They're flagrantly in violation of international law. The state of Israel today, the new settlements that are being built in the West Bank, uh, continually have been for many years. That those are all illegal. So, and no one, no one, dis, no one disputes that because it's international law. And pretty much every time there's a, a UN resolution on it, the rest of the world, apart from Israel and the United States, agree that Israel is acting illegally. In, a, in the expansion of the state of Israel onto other people's land and the eviction of those people. Yeah. So the answer to the question is, does Israel as it is today and is continuing to exist today, does it have a right, a right to exist? Well, it does not have a right to, to exist under international and moral law. There's no such thing as moral law, but international law, which is 
generally founded in, moral, in, in basic morality, Israel does not have that right to exist, according to the UN. So that's why I'm always like, I, I don't debate people on this issue, 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 this issue because it's very, it's very simple. And anybody who doesn't understand this, the simple nature of it, there's no point in me talking to them. You know, it's almost like, I don't need to talk to people who understand and there's no point in talking to people who don't, don't understand. understand. Because all they're hearing is, so what you're saying is, Jews don't have a right to exist. Yeah. Huh. You're but, a Nazi. Right. But they would, they would, which is ridiculous. That's why I wouldn't talk to people like yeah. that. Anybody who comes with that perspective or that, that, that line of argumentation is like, dude, just go argue with someone else. That's yeah. silly. It's the same, same absurdity as all the other ones where they go straight to you're a Nazi if yeah, yeah, exactly. you it's, say Trump's not that bad. It's Trump. inane. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's childish bullshit. You know, and you're not, they're not serious people who have that kind of argument with you. But um, so that, that's my problem is whenever – and it's even in the media, you know, they have to kind of preface any debate. They might have two people from both sides on to discuss it and it seems that a lot of time the, the, the implication is, okay, before we start, everybody here agrees that Israel has a right to exist, okay? Only then can we start the debate. But it's like, no, by saying that, you've actually – concluded in favor of one of the parties before you even start the debate because that is actually the debate mm-hmm. like I just explained but by saying both parties have to agree <laughs> that one of them is correct and now let's have the discussion it's like what yeah. uh, so bonkers yeah. bizarro stuff um, on the issue of Lee Hop which I explained last week is let it happen on purpose mm. um it's interesting that the Israeli government is sensitive to, I presume, domestic questions being asked about this. They probably mm. don't give a damn what any any of us non-Israelis think. Um, so they put out a lot of statements uh, this week, at home anyway, that I saw on Haaretz and Times of Israel. Mm. Many official statements saying, no, 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 our military and the full state security was fully activated after the very first shots were fired at dawn on October 7th. That may be the case, and they may have, you know, the receipts to prove that, um, but in practice, eh, hang on a second. This is from Times of Israel. Um, it's a piece about how civilian air medics did lots to fly in and out of places that were being attacked last week and bring them back up north to safety to hospitals. Mm. Headline, Times of Israel, where is the military? Civilian air medics jumped into action amid fighting no GPS. And they deserved their story. It's a heroic story. They, they were definitely, and they were shot at in various places. They carried on. They were, they were awesome. There's a paragraph, though. If you go down and uh, do a word search for third mission, The paragraph here gives you a little bit of, ooh, what happened there? Upon receiving his third mission of the day to pick up casualties at um, B'nai Netzarim, one of the settlements in southern Israel, Shemai, this um, civilian air medic guy, said he told his supervisor, wait a second, that's very close to Gaza. So I asked him, is there no military helicopter that can fly there? It's already 4 p.m., the supervisor told him, nope. Mm-hmm. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, no. There's no follow-up to that, but... Uh, yeah. Which uh, is bizarre, you know. It was, it was somewhere between 8 and 13 hours before there was any actual significant Israeli uh, response to 
to the to the initial attack. To the dawn raid. It was at least eight hours, which is bizarre because you're talking about very short distances. You're talking about a very... Yeah, it's 45 you know, minutes from Tel Aviv to Gaza. Yeah, say. yeah. You're 40, talk, 45 miles? And you're talking, about, you're talking about a military that, and a country itself that is like super militarized and super surveilled all the time because of the nature of it. And um, so, and, and, a, and a military that's on, is on, on duty, essentially, on high alert, pretty much, or some kind of like slightly below high alert all the time. So it doesn't make any sense. And so just to finish off what I was saying earlier on, the reason that this argument is being floated is, well, because there's serious questions, but it doesn't make any sense that, that why there was such a delay in a response and how Hamas was able to uh, just carry on. Um, but the the... The, the, plot, the reason, the plausible explanation for it, or the, or the explanation for why that would have happened, or the justification for a stand-down order would be that, like I said, Israel has had a problem with Palestinians for a very long time, really since the inception, obviously since the inception of Israel, or the creation of the state of Israel. And it has always needed um, justification to present the Palestinians as being a threat to Israel, which they are just by their very existence, like I said, just because they, they're, they're living, breathing, walking, talking uh, testimonies to the immorality of the foundation of the state of Israel. And they would like to deal with that issue. They've always wanted to deal with that issue. The best they could do up until now was to present them as terrorists who were threatening and attacking Israel. It's, psychologically, it's very it's very clear. that Israelis and Israeli government and, and feel threatened by the existence of Palestinians. You know what I'm saying? Their existence, the existence of the state of Israel as a moral state is by definition threatened by the existence of the Palestinians, which is an interesting twist on the, the way it's usually presented, which is that, you know, does Israel have a right to exist? Well, it's actually Israel, Israeli policy has for a very long time been that the Palestinians should not exist because they are a threat to us. Well, why are the Palestinians a threat to you? Well, that they exist that they're there because they're there and they keep talking about how we stole their land. Mm, and they were a reminder that there was a people there before yeah, we arrived. Right. So that would be much, much better if they were just disappeared, if they were removed from the pages of history and everybody forgot about them. Now, so far they've just been content to pitch them as terrorists and attack them periodically and kill them periodically and hem them in in Gaza and hem them in in the West Bank. But it seems that we may... And I it's a caveat with that word may be in a position now where Israel has decided to um, enact a more definitive solution to <clears throat> to that problem. But in order to do that, they need justification. Now, the easiest way to get justification is to obviously allow, lie hop, let it happen on purpose, a situation where Hamas gets to kill a lot of uh, uh, Israelis. Boom, there's your justification. 9-11, a year prior to 9-11, neoconservatives, PNAC, were talking in papers, you know, policy papers, writing policy papers about the need to send American troops over into the Middle East to secure American hegemony uh, forward into the 21st century. But that, that wasn't possible 
we wouldn't get the public support for it without some kind of a catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor that would then give the justification to the American government and the American military to go and do what it needed to do to Iraq and Afghanistan, etc. And 9-11 served that purpose. So this 9-11, this Israel's 9-11, seems to be serving the same purpose and seems to have the same, essentially the same lie-hop, let-it-happen-on-purpose uh, source to it. Okay, if we follow this through, then you're suggesting that this is happening on a schedule of Israel's choosing. This is not mm. rather than something that's just happened and they're opportunistically following through on something that's decades old. Um, well, what's decades old is, is, is their desire, but not really having the opportunity or the political will or not feeling it was necessary at that time to enact a final, final solution to the, to the Palestinian problem. Uh, but, yeah, it seems that this kind of been in the making for a few months, but it has been decided that by someone, somewhere, Mm-hmm. that this was this needed to happen and then to facilitate it. Do you think this has been done, that it's the, the case for doing this is entirely <clears throat> limited within whatever is good for Israel? Or is this done with other global well, I mean, schemes in it mind? Gets, it gets kind of complicated at that point. What happens start to, to wonder? <clears throat> central bank, digitally cashless society, well, global it. pandemic, biopharmacal security, state structure, American hegemony, empire. Well, yeah, America, How does all that play in? American hegemony. Or is it just what Israel wants well, today? First and foremost, it has to serve Israel's purpose, obviously first and foremost, but other, uh, other agendas can be directly attached to it. You know, they can converge together, you know. Uh, everybody can agree that, okay, let's do it. It's good for all of these different reasons, you know. One of them obviously being Israel and its long-desired long final solution. Um, but also, I mean, recently you had Saudi Arabia um, cozying up to bricks and kind of snobbing Biden. Now, I don't want to make too much of that, but there seems to be a move towards Putin and G's multipolar world, which is very bad for America. So you can ask the question, how does a war in the Middle East impact uh, that multipolar world and the way, it's, the way it seems to be manifesting and who does it benefit someone more than other. So would a war in the Middle East right now benefit American hegemony? Would it help to bolster American hegemony to the detriment of a multipolar world? Um, certainly if there was a war in the Middle East, you'd have gas prices, you'd have oil, you'd have, you know, oil crises, energy crises through the roof type thing. Um, depending on what, which, which way certain actors or certain countries where they align themselves in such a war, uh, would there be a, a remaking of alliances? It, it, can, it's, it sounds pretty complicated. I mean, they, maybe they have it very clear as to what would actually happen, the way it would go and how it would benefit America and Israel. Um, but they're wishfully thinking maybe, things but like, that are what opposite about, to reality. Possibly. Well, they don't know the outcomes. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. know the ultimate outcomes. They think they know what the ultimate outcomes are, but there's many... Uh, Plenty of slip, tricks, cup and lip, as I say. And the I mean, tr- the from an energy point of view, what does China do if there's some kind of embargo? What if, what if, uh, what if Iran, in the event of some igniting of war, what if it uh, blockades the the Persian Gulf? No more oil in or out. No more oil out, primarily. None to China, right? Could derail China's. 
how long that would last, I don't know, but you know, it might be a mm. kind of like a Samson option in a certain sense. If you if you really don't like China and you realize that China is an energy hog and gets a lot of its energy from the Middle East, well, then you just fuck up the Middle East, right? Yeah. So there's many different aspects you can look at and see and just follow through and see who would that most likely benefit? Who would benefit or or, or, or if not this, benefit then from what? that? Yeah. Well, maybe was this a reaction they they gamed? Um, Saudi Arabia and Iran, yeah. far from showing that their recent um, agreeable moves to reopen each other's embassies was on any weak foundation, issued a joint statement mm. on basically, no, it's the same international one, just please stop genociding Gazans. Um, that's the first. I mean, that ha- probably hasn't happened since... I don't know. Since forever. Since the Shah was in power, that they're on the same page Mm. in the 70s. Um, So, yeah, there are little things like that. Israel's usefulness as a, from the American point of view, as a way to divide and conquer in the broadest sense of that term, the Muslim world and within that then the Arab Mm -hmm. grouping specifically, um, if they're thinking that they can flare this up and redo it, the signs so far are opposite. They're all saying this; they're all on the same page. Gaza, uh, Egypt says no, we're not open the border because we know this. That means ethnic cleansing as they come out, and uh, they should stay, resist, and that's backed up by every, Egypt. Never says anything without Saudi Arabia approving it. By mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. that that's the nature of even though they're a much more populous country. Mm-hmm. Egypt always follows um, Saudi Arabia's lead. And then Saudi Arabia and Iran are on the same page at the broader strokes. Um, it, it might be, as Dugan says, we're, we're, but again, this would mean intended outcome. They probably intend the opposite. Like I've said, historically, this has worked to refracture the Middle East in, in favor of hegemony. Mm-hmm. Israel's regionally and then America's globally. Mm-hmm. But Dugan could be correct in saying that this is going to actually catalyze a quickening of cohesion of the Islamic world. Possibly. Possibly. Um, yeah. What next? It looked like it was escalating faster than it, it's kind of in a hiatus right now. Hezbollah in the north, tit for tat, exchange of fire, but that still hasn't kicked off. Mm. That could. It looks like Iran actually, Iran's being bashed in the Western media as being behind Hamas. This is the kind of ignorance of things. Iran is controlling Hamas and it's causing this. No, that's Hezbollah. You're mixing up. That's, that's not the case with Hamas. Hamas. Hamas leadership is currently um, hosted in Qatar. Qatar and Iran have actually been on the other sides of the divide in the Middle East, at least until recently. Mm, except they met, they met the leader of Hamas. In Qatar, the Iranian foreign minister. Correct. That's <clears throat> new, though. That's new. That's that's an example of new alliances across the older divides. But in people's heads in the West, it's still like, oh, Hamas must be Iran controlling because they control all terrorists in the Middle East. Blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas, in fact, Hamas, it's so messy. Just 10 years ago, 2012, yeah, midway through the Syrian, quote, civil war, Hamas, them. Um, Leadership declared 
their support for the Syrian rebels mm-hmm. slash moderate terrorists. Um, that's how much they're not uh, – they, well, they were not on the same page before. And mm-hmm. Assad hated that because he had up till that point been the host country for Hamas leadership. Mm-hmm. And they, they fled. They fled that sinking ship and then turned, turned coat mm-hmm. and supported uh, those who were against Assad. Anyway, mm-hmm. and of course, they, they would have found willing supporters for that cause in Qatar because Qatar was helping to send right. jihadi ink into Syria. Um, anyway, that, that, may, that may all be water under the bridge because like nothing, it's like Putin said this week, nothing unites Muslims everywhere like Gaza, Palestine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what did he say? Pal- the Palestinian issue is in every Muslim's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so What's, the Israelis, but they really know that. I mean, surely they know that. Are they that kind of suicidal that they're going to do something like truly atro- like more atrocious than they usually do mm-hmm. um, and bring, bring it all down on their heads? Because Hamas is, you know, keeping it, keeping it under check. Well, not Hamas, uh, Hezbollah in the north, but they'll do a repeat of what happened in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, rain a lot stronger, bigger rockets down on. And, and there, there will be genuine, actual Iranian support. Mm-hmm. Um, not just ideological, but material support. Yeah, I thought, I saw something you posted on Twitter there, uh, was quite a while ago, about uh, Netanyahu, just a few, few months ago, or a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. at the UN, mm-hmm. uh, talking about, uh, you know, unity of... Um, a new unity amongst Israel and Ab- Abraham Accords, basically. Yeah, it's started the, by Trump. It's, an, it's it's what's called the normalization of ties and the peace for peace for peace formula between the, the principle of it is that um, Israel and Saudi Arabia will normalize relationships. That means basically, yeah, like Abraham Accords, open embassies and actual have proper state to state relations. To this day, Saudi Arabia officially hasn't. That's what people don't realize. They think, oh, they're both, they're both client states slash very tight allies with America these last 70 years. Therefore, they're both on the same page. No, because of the treatment of Palestinians. Yeah. This is the, the, the Saudi regime can't, or their own people would rise up and cut their heads off. I thought it was interesting to just uh, have a listen to him. This is literally a few weeks ago at the UN, and this is what Bibi uh, was saying. Only a minute long. The Abraham Accords heralded the dawn of a new age of peace. But I believe that we are at the cusp of an even more dramatic breakthrough, an historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Such a peace will go a long way to ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. It will encourage other Arab states to normalize their relations with Israel. The whole Middle East changes. We tear down the walls of enmity. We bring the possibility of prosperity and peace to this entire region. The blessing of a new Middle East between Israel, Saudi Arabia, and our other neighbors. We will not only bring down barriers between Israel and our neighbors, we'll build a new corridor of peace and prosperity that connects Asia through the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, to Europe. This is an extraordinary change, a monumental change, 
Another pivot of history. And it's gone. So you're tearing down the walls of enmity, and then a few weeks later, it's all, all well, gone to shit. That's my question for you. Is he, is he um, being a manipulative Machiavellian mwahaha actor there two weeks before to lead everyone into a false sense of security, knowing what's actually about to come up? Or was he not? And this was dumped on his doorstep by other actors. Yeah, you think if he knew what was planning, what was in the planning, he wouldn't have been at the UN talking about that I mean why bother and so convincingly and getting applause yeah you I mean mean, this is remember this is the same BB who like 10 years before had his his bomb Iran's here red marker yeah yeah they're going to be here I mean it's it's a total sea change and it's one that's based on and it's not just out of the blue it's the Abraham Accords it's the normalization ties normalization is kind of like it's, it's, it's been the buzzword for years, but it has had actual practical effects. There were real plans to have transport corridors, energy corridors mm-hmm. in, in the direction he was saying. And of course, what he's left out, he zoomed in on just the region because he doesn't want to piss off the hegemonists back in Washington too much. Dot, dot, dot. What's implied by that is connectivity within our region to mm. Asia. And <clears throat> within Eurasia. Therefore, with China. Yeah, of course, yeah. One belt, one road, yeah. That's, and that's why I mentioned it earlier on, that if there was a war in the Middle East, you, you could, it would be an attempt to derail that whole Eurasian integration, which is fundamental to the Putin and Xi's idea of multipolarity. And the problem with multipolarity is that it's like a, it's probably the most hated wor- word in Washington, D.C. over the past number of years, because um, it, it spells the end of American hegemony. Um, and, of course, what Bibi's talking about there really doesn't, you know, it sidelines America, you know. America isn't needed in in um, in, in that new plan, you know, uh, or needed as much as as it has been, let's say, in the old world. So, I mean, you can point the fingers ultimately at elements within the Israeli state working with elements within Washington, the Washington establishment, who can, who came up with this uh, this plan to that's, that's see the see see the See the new war. See the, a new serious Middle Eastern conflict. Yeah, the, the, uh, the U.S. actions immediately after this, sending two aircraft carriers and whatnot. Yeah, and the Brits as well. Speak to speak to planning beforehand. That's not just a response. Mm. Oh, here you go, carte blanche. You know, because they, they they've not been giving carte blanche to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, like, there was a spat at the end of Bush's second term. Yeah, Israel not getting what it wanted, and Bush was like, "F you." And then Obama, same thing. Um, they and Biden, Biden is is hammered in Israeli press because he's you know lefty and won't give us what we want. Uh, so, and then suddenly they get everything they want. You know, it's it, you can't you can't you can't you can't kind of trust your blink on it. Oh, they've historically been all on the same side, so therefore they will be now. Um, okay, the deeper point here is that we've mentioned it on earlier shows because, um, as someone just reminded me in the chat, um, for 40 weeks there was intense anti Netanyahu protests yeah, yeah. in Israel. Of course. That's obvious. That's ended. Yeah. There's one way of looking at this. <clears throat> That's ended now suddenly, and there's unity around the war. Ergo, Netanyahu, benefits. Machiavelli, he benefits from this. Kind of. That would be how it looks at first blink. But actually, he's getting hammered in the Israeli press. Like he's finished. They're all saying mm. this week because this was this is something. This is too much. This is as this is as many Jews. This is the most Jews ever killed since the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. 
it's beyond his ability to fix. He will forever be remembered associated with the, this calamity, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I mean, it's not so much a calamity as of yet. It's, it's just another thing that he in the past has done <clears throat> as prime minister, when he was prime minister in the past, and other prime ministers have done the same thing, which is operations against the Palestinians in Gaza where they just kill thousands of people and, and injure tens of thousands. Uh, that's not something that's going to... That's not, a, that's not a, a black mark on your record in Israel, right? Um, the only... It looks like this has, at least in the short term, saved Netanyahu from being ousted, uh, dishonorably ousted from the Prime Minister's office because of the, like, the, the, the protest you mentioned about him trying to become a dictator by subverting the power of the judiciary in Israel and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it depends on where this ends. It could be a double whammy. He could like, have that on his record going into this, where he was like on the brink of being ousted because you're trying to subvert the Israeli constitution. And he thinks, being the dupe that he is, he thinks that this is a way to rehabilitate myself by having a victory over, over Hamas and Gaza and avenging the Israeli, Israeli people. But if it continues on into a, a, a much broader conflict that ends with the destruction of Israel... Yeah, he course. can add to his record yeah, yeah. <laughs> presiding over the, the destruction of Israel. Yeah, the and maybe the post. people who are, maybe he is at the, the quintessential dupe in that respect where he's the fall guy uh, and that he was, you know, this was offered to him. I think he's smarter than that. Offered to him on the plate as here's a way to rehabilitate yourself. Let's do something with Gaza and you'll, people think you're the great anti-terrorist fighter. But them knowing that the plan was actually to ignite he, a war in the Middle East and have him be the fall guy. Because somebody's got to be the fall guy, right? Somebody's, somebody's got to be a prime minister when, when Israel goes down, if Israel, Israel were to go down against its, its enemies in the Middle East. No? And who, like who, who would want to be there, you know what I mean? Who's stupid enough to preside over that? Yeah, yeah, when the music stops. Who's, who's Zelensky-level stupid to preside over that? I don't think it's Bibi. He's, he's been prime minister since 1997, yeah, he's been off and on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This guy's survived a lot. But um, I've... I you think know? I think okay, hubris, personal not, hubris, uh, arrogance. Maybe you're right. He this will give <clears> him uh, this will give him some time. Right now, it's beneficial uh, to him. I, here's another scenario: he's going to be ousted short in the short term. We'll see in a palace coup or whatever democratically ousted or ousted ousted. Why? I, I'm just going. I just got a, a, a sense of it from all the editorials. You've been listening to chatter. Haaretz, Times of Israel, he's finished. Bibi's finished. And to be clear, they did, this came because they were reporting polls this week. And the polls sound like, wow, Jesus, oof, that sounds really bad. It says 94% of Israelis think the Israeli government started this war mm. or is to blame for this war. And you're thinking, wow, they're all pro-peace. No, <laughs> that's not it. They're blaming this government for allowing this to happen, for, not, for, doing for not doing it, for not being vicious enough, doing something about the Palestinians, and therefore it happened for it because it's a calamity. You got, there's there's a, just a different, there's a different. Um, it, it's different in Israel. Like it, if some Jews are killed and it justifies a war, you can capitalize on it. But when it gets too much of a national disaster. Yeah, but what's, what, what are the options? Say you're in Bibi's position. Yeah. And you're, you're, you know that you're, you're, you were about to be ousted as a, 
after you know months and months of protests about your handling of this reforming of the constitution and you're pitched as a dictator and you need to be you need to go everybody's against you and then on top of that under your under your watch 1300 1400 israelis are killed by the palestinian terrorists that we thought you had under control as prime minister and being a long-term prime minister as well that's doubly bad you might actually go to jail you know you might be lynched in the street uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to resign there and then and walk away? No, you're going to try and find, you're going to try and find the balance of, avenge, of satisfying the, the, the bloodlust for revenge, for revenge without destroying the whole project. He, he, would, right. he would do whatever needed right now to get normalization of ties with Saudi Arabia back on track. Mm. Thus, the overall strategic turn he's was hinting strongly at at the UN two weeks ago back on track. He wants to survive this crisis that's been foisted on mm-hmm. him by the hegemonists mm-hmm. back onto the reality that Israel will have to become a normal country yeah. in the longer term and become part of the right. uh, multipolar world. Right, but there's a certain level. He obviously is aware that there's a certain level of vengeance that has to be wreaked on Yes, on and he has people. to find the balance. Right. Right now, uh, and you think he, and he's probably not thinking that he's going to ruin the whole project. He doesn't think. I mean, who, who, who knows? Who, who can say they know that the events right now will, in the relatively near future, lead to a situation where Israel might be destroyed? Who's thinking that way? In their hubris and arrogance and wishful thinking. Is anybody thinking that Israel might be destroyed as a result of this with the American aircraft carriers coming to cow everybody in the region, threaten Iran, threaten Iraq, threaten Syria, threaten Hezbollah? You know, I mean, do any of them think realistically that any of them involved in this could end up leading by their actions to lead to the destruction of Israel? Least of all Netanyahu. You know what I mean? I don't Mm -hmm. think so. I don't think he's thinking even in those terms. Which is his blind well, spot, they, I think, which means he probably will go too far. He hmm. won't anticipate the response. And he will end up being the guy who is seen as initiating the course of action that led to the destruction of Israel. Hmm. Okay. And there are other people, a select few, who have that in mind in a certain sense. Um, and are happy to have, have him carry the can. Somebody has to, and he's the perfect guy. He's been there for so long. He's an establishment figure. He's been prime minister for like on and off, like you said, for more than twenty years. He's an establishment, Israeli establishment. Basically, he is the Israeli establishment more than anybody else in a certain sense. The overt Israeli establishment. Oh, so let's have him do it. Is he? The whole media was against him for forty weeks. I know, but maybe that's who deco- controls them. But that's maybe de- exactly. But that's who. That's maybe that's, that's who the people are because that that coverage in the media of, him, of of the media threatening that he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, pushes him to be more and more aggressive and brutal in mm-hmm. Israel in order to, or in, in Palestine in order to, in order to uh, rehabilitate his image. So the Mossad CIA deep state is, is, is willfully trying to bring out the destruction of Israel? Mm, possibly, yeah. But not just that, obviously. That's just, yeah. that's just one effect. But there's a, the point is not that. Yeah, but that's a necessary part of it of wrecking the Middle East. How are you going to wreck the Middle East unless Israel gets wrecked too, right? 
And how are you going to start a fight in the Middle East that ends up wrecking the Middle East and Israel without Israel being front and centre? They're the ones who can kick it off, right? You're, oh, not, okay. you're not going to get Egypt and Saudi Arabia to fight each other. You're not going to get Egypt or Iran and, and Saudi Arabia to fight each other. You're not going to get any of these different people to, to start a, a, a conflict, you know? Um, Israel, Israel's the one. If you want to start a conflict in the Israel, Middle East, Israel get Israel. Is the fuse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who else? Like? Yeah. The rest of them are Arabs, right? Ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They're not going to have a genocidal war of Armageddon between Arabs. Ultimately, you're, go- you're going to have it between, as the Bible says, it's going to be between the Jews and their, and their, and their enemies. Um, yeah, that's what everybody else on Twitter is talking about, talking about the end of the world, World War Three, Armageddon. So, well, well, I'll throw my hat in the ring. There you go. <laughs> I'll just tell you exactly how it's going to happen. Yeah. And why it's going to happen and how it's, you know, it's, it's not that it's a prophecy. It's like, <laughs> it's like written, written over the whole the whole scene you know what I mean it's like fairly easily discernible how these things can happen you know and but again they wouldn't happen unless you have this fifth column element that we just spoke of that facilitates these kind of conflicts to break out um, and there's someone who's asking us today about you know I mean part of the let it happen on purpose I'm I would like put a significant that I would say there's a significant likelihood that not all those Israelis were killed by Hamas Palestinians mm. that a lot of them were killed by actors third party actors let's say maybe Israelis maybe not doesn't really Jihad, matter Jihadi Inc right we saw that in Syria people dressed up as jihadis people dressed up or they're, as they're literally as hired for one job and yeah. overnight the situation can change and they're now remodeled as yeah. they're no longer free Syrian army now they're Kurdish liberation people yeah. something you know. yeah. the, the people should as an exercise in how like how this happens go and look at the past five Israeli uh, slaughters against Gaza on the Wikipedia pages. And just look at the, in the sidebar, they put the belligerents, you know, little box. And the one side is just Israel, blank. And the other side is Hamas. And then there's 20 other names that you've never heard of. No one had at the time either. There's like 20 factions. <laughs> they, that's, that's not just that there's people who had ideological disagreements with Hamas, but with Hamas, who joined them on the day of as a Palestinian resistance. They're also like literal cutouts. They're intelligence counterinsurgency groups. Pseudo gangs, yeah. Pseudo gangs. The British did this all over their empire. Um, it's it's one on one. You know, you, it's that that's why it looks like. Oh my god! Look at all yeah. these all these different groups fighting against us. Not there's one really. Yeah, but people have to understand, and they don't understand. But like we've we've like for you know many years now, we've read books. That anybody can read. And these are historical books. These are books that are in university libraries that describe, particularly in the case of the British Empire, but also with the Americans. But I'll I'll just give a few examples of of the British Empire. In the British Empire, whenever the British, as an empire, obviously expropriated other people's lands, there was resistance from the local population to that theft of their land. And it you know, it got to one extent, another got international attention, press attention. 
The, now, the, the British were well aware of the need to keep the people on side and the international community uh, uh, keep them all on side with, with what they were doing here. They were civilizing, they were helping, they were blah, 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 blah. But it was hard to cover up the fact that you'd just gone into this country, killed a bunch of people and took their land. Doesn't look good to the people back home. Just from a basic morality, mm. universal morality, good, good thing, bad thing, it's not a good thing. So the Brits go, well, how do we turn this around? Well, there seems to be quite a lot of sympathy coming for these people that we have just invaded and, and colonized and killed. Uh, how do we turn that around? Well, especially in the context of them fighting back, because a lot of people are talking about them, even calling them freedom fighters. It's not good for us. We don't want to be fighting against freedom fighters. What the fuck? I mean, we're the British Empire. We're yeah. democracy, right? Yeah. Now the Brits and the Americans and the French or anybody wants to be fighting against freedom fighters. But that's what they're being called in the media just spontaneously. Because, yeah, technically we went in and stole their land and killed them and now they're fighting back. And that's generally the definition of a freedom fighter if there is one. So how do we make these people look bad? We can't have them looking good in this way. So let's have them do things that make them look bad to the international population. Let's turn them into terrorists, basically. Criminals and terrorists. So, well, sir, that's a good idea, but we have a problem. We can't really get them to do these bad things that you want them to do, like kill civilians, massacre civilians. They seem to be only focused on trying to kill us, the British military presence. Oh, that is problematic. So... What do we do? Well... What we could do is get either ourselves or people, you know, contracted by us to dress up as in the uniforms of these quote-unquote freedom fighters and have them kill civilians and then take claim for it and make, uh, claim it, take, take responsibility for it. Okay, that sounds a good idea. Let's do that. So they did that in Kenya, they did that in Malaysia, they did that in several other areas of Empire in Cyprus. Um, Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland. And these are all documented. You know? Iraq. I mean, you had... Docu- was more like, the Americans, and, though. Yeah. I, yeah, the Americans did too. Um, so, again, the, the, these accounts are in university library books, you know, by scholars, historians. Um, so, if you know that information, know that that actually happens, has happened in the relatively recent past, is part of Western military doctrine when you're trying to... Uh, conquer another country and subdue its population and get approval by the international community. Part, a core part of that military doctrine that was formed was that you need to have these kind of pseudo gangs on your books that you can use to uh, turn the local resistance, the local freedom fighters into terrorists by acting in their name and killing civilians and then plastering all across the media. So the fact of the matter is, anybody, people, because if I just give this straight off the cuff, people say, yeah, yeah where did you get that from you? crazy conspiracy not like i got it from a university book yeah i got it from a factual historical document that it actually happened that no one disputes that's where i got it from it's not a crazy conspiracy theory this is a central part of western military doctrine going back decades and it makes a lot of sense from that kind of divide and conquer or, or imperialistic mindset how, uh, to have a successful empire it makes a lot of sense that's i mean you just follow through have this problem have this problem what about the solution? Okay, that's the solution to this problem. Do it. So, um, so all we're saying in this situation is that it fits the profile that uh, this particular context where you want to, uh, I mean, it's been ongoing for a long time with Palestinians where the Palestinians needed, in Israel, needed to be uh, pitched and presented to the entire Western, Western world of the global community as terrorists. So they need to do things that terrorists do. They can't just be shooting Israeli soldiers. 
They can't just be attacking Israeli soldiers. They need to attack civilians. Hmm. How do we get them to attack civilians when they don't really want to? Because they're not that stupid because they know that if they were to attack civilians, they'd undermine pu- under- their moral cause. Pu- public, public opinion would go yeah. against them. So they don't want to attack civilians. And they tend not to. Well, then let's just have somebody dress up as the fucking Palestinians, have them <laughs> kill fucking s- some fucking Israelis, and it's done. All right, sir. We'll try and make it happen. Like, give, give us a few weeks and we'll try and make it happen. But, you know, yeah. it's going need, to need a lot of secrecy around this and it's going to need to be done carefully because if it gets out to the media, obviously we're fucked big time. So, well, it can't be that hard. Look, I'm talking about dressing some Palestinian-looking dudes up in Palestinian uniforms. Like, say, give, give me 20 of them. Is that too many to ask for? 20 with a psychopathic mindset who like shooting people. Give them guns, give them the uniforms, and tell them to run into that kibbutz and kill as many people as possible. Can you do that? I mean, you follow orders, right? Yeah. Do, can you do that? Is it is it that hard? Well, we need guns, uniforms, and dudes. Yeah. The only, and the, the the thing that holds people back from it is the, the, the moral qualm. When you point it logically, it's like, yeah, theoretically that could happen, but they'd never. Who would never do what? I know. Here's the thing. You don't even have to go to academic books about. Go and look up Frank Hitson. Frank Hitson was the British chief of counterinsurgency in many places. He's the source of one of the academic books I'm talking about. Not, not He's his, his own memoirs. His own memoirs, but... but wrote, wrote about what he calls pseudo-gangs. Yeah. These guys were so... You, you think, oh, well, that would be so hard to pull off. For example, uh, British soldiers in Kenya... What's the big in the Middle East? You know, you can get Israelis who look like Arabs, right? You can see how here, but how would you pull that off in Africa when, like, they're really black and you're really white? They just put on blackface. They just put on blackface and went out shooting people. Yeah, that was that was that the, was the extent of the disguise. I mean, well, that was the, that was the original because uh, that was in the early days of it, and Kitson really was a. a yeah, pioneer in that respect. He kind of, in a certain sense, wrote, wrote the book on it, <clears throat> along with others in the US uh, who, were direct, who were involved in Latin America at the time and stuff as well. But the Brits were a bit ham-fisted at that point because they were just starting out <clears throat> in this in this policy or it was maybe just Kitson was a bit of a, a, a nutbag. He's still alive. Yeah. Fuck me. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Kitson, yes. I mean, obviously... He's 96. Obviously, in, in, in the... In, a, in, in more modern settings and stuff, it's much easier to get, for example, in Kenya, it's much easier to get black people, black mercenaries, guys just for hire who will go and kill a bunch of white settlers. They're very happy to do it, actually. Um, but in that case, yes, Kitson originally did implement that policy of having British soldiers rub boot polish on their face and take advantage of the fact that, you know, you bust into a, and, and you bust into a white English settler's house in Kenya and and beat and kill them all that even if you don't kill them all uh, the kind of shock and shock and awe of, of that kind of experience isn't going to allow for the person who, who might survive to say hang on a minute it looked like he had boot polish on his face no he's going to say look you know you know what eyewitness testimony is like yeah right? in the trauma the imagine way. someone survived something like that and said you know yeah it was terrible it was tra- really traumatic I'm horrified I mean I, it's going to take me years to get over this but I swear like there was one moment I was laying there and I looked at one of the guys who was, who was shooting at us and I could have sworn he had boot po- he was black <laughs> but I could have sworn it was he had boot, boot polish in his face I could have sworn it was like not real black person it's like look you're traumatized do you realise what you've just been through come on yeah, yeah, boot yeah. polish get a grip yeah 
if it was black, it was black, right? That's yeah. the Mao Mao. That's the Kenyan Mao Mao. They're the, they're the freedom fighters, yeah. so-called freedom fighters. Now look what they did. They've been running around shooting white settlers, white British settlers in They're Kenya. no longer freedom fighters, now they're terrorists. They're terrorists. And therefore we have to stay here to deal with this terrorist threat. Yeah. So easy to happen, but people won't count this. They won't. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. I don't want to believe that they'd do that. 500 fake FBI terror plots. So we know that they would contrive a plot. I suppose the next step then, well, okay, people accepted that. But would they actually carry out a plot? Hmm. Operation Northwoods. Blow up a jetliner. Pretend it was Cuba. Okay, we didn't do it. It was just asked for some ideas, and that's one of the well. That's one of the ones they came up with, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that they, you had you got the serious people in the room to come up with ideas about what to do about Cuba, how we can get an edge on Cuba, and one of them that was written up as an actual plan and is still available uh, and sent to JFK for his approval. Right, Operation went that far was to uh, yeah to get a civilian airliner and uh, blow it up full of Americans and blame it on Cuba. False flag, but false flags aren't allowed. You know, even though they've happened and it makes sense and they're very profitable, they're very useful. They get you, they get um, put you in a position where you can do what you want to do, where you otherwise wouldn't be able to do it. But nobody would ever do that because I live in Moo Land along with this unicorn. There, I, someone needs to do. A, well, I, we just don't have time for it, not at the moment anyway. Like a a comp. A full investigation of the events of October 7th, just, if only just to see where the atrocities took place. Um, because there's been no such effort in, in the media to just paint the facts of what They did focus somewhat. We have now a clearish picture of the atrocity at the rave, at the kibbutz Raim near Gaza. But what about the other sites? That was, that was 260 dead. What about the other 1,100 people? You know, I'm not sure. No one really seems to know where or where or who was killed there. Not yet, anyway. Um, so, yeah, if we just, like, find out the scope of this. Because when you read some of these Israeli press of eyewitness testimony, it's like there's a few hints of squirrely stuff, but you can't even get a, a decent picture of what took place um, just to situate yourself, you know. But here, here's one detail, though, that caught my eye. Um, uh, survivors of one of the attacks against a settlement near, near Gaza. If you, if you do a word search for the whole, the whole Moshav, I think Moshav is a Hebrew term for a settlement or something, or a village. Um, a survivor called Gepner is saying the whole Moshav only had four, four M16 rifles. Um, some months ago, local Bedouin had stolen weapons from their armory, and the army, the IDF, I guess, had decided to take most of the long guns away. So I was like, what's, what was that about? Um, sure enough, in May this year, this is something that people have wondered about because southern Israel is... It's like good old boy Texas times to the power of 10. There are armories in every house, in every settlement. Everyone has been to the IDF or is still active IDF. It's, it's super armed, right? Um, this is from May. IDF control, controller conducts snap inspections of armories after mass thefts. Um, 
And it goes on to describe like huge numbers of ammo and weapons like you see there being stolen. They said by gangs and left it at that. Therefore, they came in themselves, the state officials, IDF, and and reduced access to these armories or actually withdrew a lot of the weapons from them. So that's the kind of thing that can go on in the background to set up um, or to facilitate. I mean, if they had been as armed maybe as they normally are, the death toll would probably have been far, far less. Um, mm-hmm. So it's yeah. If if I had time, I would try to get a, a, a more uh, clear picture of what took place where. But just on the now that we do have a more decent picture of of the main atrocity we heard about the one at the rave, like. Christ in heaven. It, it turns out that the event was changed two days beforehand. It was set to take place somewhere else. Okay, think about that. Hamas got wind of that, adjusted their plans accordingly two days before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, testimony that um, from survivors published in Israeli media that they didn't know who who was who there like one of them explicitly said that the part of the reason so many were killed in one spot is because initially they were avoiding rockets there were a couple of rockets landing nearby so they began to go okay let's get out of here so they got in their cars and went to the main exit and you've seen the drone footage since then or the, 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 the photos of all these torched cars all just together on the side of the road that checkpoint was set up by people who were dressed in police uniform. And then those police, who in the official narrative were in fact Hamas, who managed to get police uniform two days before, whatever, um, opened fire on them. And didn't just open fire on them with weapons, but with RPGs. I mean, they fired rockets into the cars. That's why so many of the cars are torched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely got to be information there about the main aspect of this is some kind of a standdown order where there's very little response from the, from from the Israeli military to the initial account of of uh, of there being a breakthrough of the, of the of the border and the fact that it took eight hours before anything actually significant any significant pushback happened is ridiculous. I mean, there has to have been some kind of a standdown order, and that's what really led to the most of the killing. Whoever was doing it. Yeah. So, um, what do you see happening next? Um, the, Iran is getting pilloried in the Western media for being the puppet master behind this. They're just, this is water off duck's back. They seem really confident in their statements. They, they've issued a clear statement that said, if you go into Gaza like you're planning to do, we will enter the war as well. Is that just hot air? This sounds like sounds like confident talk. I presume they mean by that to imply not a direct state versus state, but they would enter it proxy by Hezbollah in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It depends. We'll have to wait. It's horrible to have to wait through this and just like, you know, because you know the waiting through it is basically involves a lot of people you know, dying. A lot of Palestinian, innocent Palestinians and particularly children uh, dying while we wait to see what happens. But um, it's, it's all dependent on how far the Israelis go and what they do, you know. Um, I think it'll get to the point, if it gets, it can get to the point where it'll be public Arab public Arab outrage will force the hand of, of the government, you know. And once Israel gets wind of that happening, or if it's significant enough, then you can have a, a, an ignition of something much bigger, you know. But it's almost like there has to be enough sacrifice of Palestinian lives <laughs> to have more sacrifice and more lives. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, the only the only other people are crazy. Literally, crazy. So. The only other option to, to normalization to um, at least trade, if not peace, yet is uh, Armageddon. You know, mm. just vicious, vicious cycle. Um, you know, here I just just came across uh, uh, <laughs> an example of uh, of a kind of. I don't know, thinking? Is it, can I call it thinking? This is... Intelligent person, Michael Shermer, skeptic, professional skeptic, debunks things. And he's just a hot take on, on Israel and the conflict right now. There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. There are 50 majority Muslim nations in the world. There are 16.1 million Jews in the world. There's only one Jewish nation in the world. Do not Jews have the same right to nationhood as everyone else? I mean, the, the, Michael, there's more. You realize there's more to this situation than that. I mean, you can't be resolved down to that. You realize that's like I don't even know how to characterize it. It's like simpletons. But like, is that actually? I mean, is he just using that as propaganda? He knows it's much more complicated, or has he limited his brain? his brain capacity down to such an extent that that's all he can come up with. That's all, when he thinks about that, this, that's all he comes up with. You know? Mm. Well, he, he's one of, as we've noticed, observed this week, one of a lot, lot of Western intellectuals who have ingested the assumption within his final statement there that uh, the assumption that's implied by his last statement is questioned, which is that the, the core problem of Israel-Palestine is that there are people... Who say that Jews don't already exist. There are people there who would slaughter them all if they could. Yeah. I you mean, heard that from Peterson. You yeah. heard that from yeah. from all of the right. righties this week. Yeah, so, so, so the, they've ingested the core basis suppose, of the Hasbara Zionist talking point. Yeah, I suppose my, fact. my problem with him is that, with, with that, those kind of statements, is that there are immediate questions, obvious questions to respond to hit those four, those four or five points that I'm, I would be amazed that he, that don't come up to him himself. You know what I mean? If I come up with an idea about something, say, Here, here's, my, here's my short argument, blah, 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 blah. The first thing I do is look at that to see if it's like consistent and whether it's, or whether it's very easily undermined as an argument. If it's a very weak argument. Because I can immediately think of a pushback, a valid pushback to it that undermines what I just said. Uh-huh. 
That's what I do. I assume that intelligent people do the same thing. But apparently not. He puts this on Twitter. And it's like, so, so obviously the questions are, he says there are 1.8 million, bulls, million billion Muslims in the world. There are 50 majority Muslim nations in the world. There are only 60 million Jews, only one Jewish nation. Okay, the immediate question is, how many of those 1.8 billion Muslims live in countries that have expropriated the land of their neighbours and, and have locked 2 million, a million of them in a, in a prison camp and periodically murder them? How many of those 1.8 billion Muslims in the 50 majority Muslim nations do that to anyone else? That's, that's the first question he should ask himself to see whether or not he can equate those 1.8 billion Muslims and 50 majority Muslim nations with Jews in Israel. Because the defining aspect of Jews in Israel is that they have stolen other people's land, they continue to steal other people's land and their neighbours' land and they continue to, to, to murder and, and torment their neighbours. So if you're going to decide if any of these people have, Muslims or Jews, have a right to nationhood, you have to look at that question, you know? Uh, Does, they, they fundamentally believe that all the evil is done to them. That, that, this, that the problem began with the other people. It's just opposite to what you just described. They just believe the opposite. But why, how can you believe the opposite when it's when, media, it, when it's in media, con- media it's, it's propaganda? In con- it's in contrast to, to, to it's in contrast to factual <sighs> history. No, no, actual history. I know, but I know it. <laughs> but, but that's it. But I like to know someone like there, and ultimately, because I ultimately I think where they go to, if you push them back on facts and all that kind of stuff, ultimately they'll say they have to say, and they do say. God gave us this land 2,000 years ago. That's what their argument rests on. Yeah. I mean, the only way he can come up with this bullshit set of points that this, this false, false association to try and make his point is if there's an underlying belief mm. that he, as a Jew, and all the rest of them are morally justified in doing whatever is necessary because the land was given to them by God. But of course, well then, it's open season on taking anybody's land based on some text you can find or make up yourself that says that that land was yours 2,000 years ago. Let's all do that. Wouldn't that be a nice world to live in? Even, don't even start doing it at a national level. Start just at your local level. You know, adopt a faith, write some ancient documents, pour some tea on them, write some documents and pour some tea on them to make, make them look old that say that you that the land that your neighbour's house on was actually given to you by this God that you... Here, look, I have had, the title deeds. Yeah, I'm going to take it. We start at the local level, so everybody in, in neighbourhoods can go and, and steal their, their neighbour's houses based on a, a, a concocted religious text. That is literally how the settlers acquire more land for Israel, piece by piece. The deeds. Yeah, the, God said, therefore, get off my land. And yeah. they shoot the Palestinians if they don't leave. Yeah. So happens every day, all the time. We literally have no one to no one to actually talk to about this. We have literally no one to argue with. I mean, there, I have literally not seen one person on Twitter, in the media, anywhere publicly talking about this that has a valid argument that I could actually engage with. That would, would be, it would be worth my time engaging with. Because you know, <laughs> someone who none of them seem to be open minded enough to actually try and because it's complicated, right? Yeah. So they just want to go for the black and white oversimplified statements and it's, it's us versus them and 
my gods, like Laura likes to say, my gods, diddly, my gods hot and your gods not diddly squat. Um, my god shit hot and your gods not diddly squat. That's the level we're at, fair enough. But I'm not talking, I'm not arguing. You know, yeah, I know. I'm, yeah, I'm not arguing with people on that basis. Only, it's ironic because there's only one other active military slash political force on the earth that thinks the same way. ISIS. God said, therefore, everything is justified, specifically the expropriation of land. And they began with Islamic State in the Levant, uh, and then Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. Yeah. And then it spread out to, oh, actually, all the way to Philippines. Why? Because Islam everywhere. Yeah. And they have their Allah silly said. maps of the world all in black with yeah. the ISIS flag. Right. And North Africa would take all of it. We're expropriating yeah. all of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no one else with it except Israel. And we're going to do it by force. We're going to kill people to get it. So, um, yeah, so ideologically... And, and, and everything we do is justified because God. Yeah, at, a, at, a, at a very at a basic level, the ideology is, is, with the Israeli ideology and the ISIS ideology, is there's a match there in terms of their, yeah. their attitude towards... Yeah. Um, and you notice... The, but, of course, they call Hamas ISIS. Exactly. Well, that's what last week's atrocity, the take-home message was Hamas is ISIS. Hamas equals ISIS. And it was literally, it was on our local newspaper. Um, they had a, an Israeli a, well maybe a pro, not Israeli, a pro, pro-Israel protester maybe in the United States front page holding up and he had his, uh, the photo of that unfortunate chick who was um, not dead after all, yep. but whatever, put in the back of uh, pickup, pick broken leg or something and then uh her image last week was seared into every mind from here to Timbuktu. There's always one, isn't there? With Hamas equals ISIS. Hmm. Yeah. That was the only... It doesn't matter now what the facts and, and this, are. No, that this, was the take on... The, you, you can talk quickly about how this relates directly to what's going on in the US. How the response to this amongst the... The... The, the cesspool that is American politics right now it has been for quite a number of, t- number of years, um, how this is, is, has immediately fed into that. You have a bunch of right Republicans, rhinos, whatever, Republicans, Trump supporters, a lot of them. No, rhinos and Trump's, they're, they're opposite. No, they're, okay. bo- they're both doing the same. On this... That's what I mean. They're both, they're this, they're all the, the conservatives are together on this, and they're tying this to immigration, because obviously they've been going on yeah. about immigration, the Biden administration, the land immigration, illegal immigration into the US, which is fair enough. But now suddenly this is uh, the, the left that supports illegal immigration in the US, into the US, have apparently, according to the media, adopted the Palestinian cause, and the right goes, see, these people aren't just bleeding hard immigrant lovers. They are actually ISIS-loving, Hamas-loving terrorists. Yeah. And they want... They would kill us all if they could. Yeah. So that proves us true. And, of course, Hamas and Palestinians have to be terrorists in order to make the left-wingers that we hate in America terrorists. Yeah. So they're all terrorists together. Stick the two of them together. And apparently House Republicans have introduced a Gaza Act to stop Biden from importing Palestinians into the US. Right, because that's been brooded, the idea that... Right, because they say because the of ISIS, be. Hamas, ISIS will come with them and it'll be the complete undoing of America. And the Brits are saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, the, what, what the week has shown is that the, the hysteria is every bit as much in the right 
as it is in the left. Everyone, everyone is hysterical, people. This is, um, it's, it's weird. The, the, and it's, well, you know what's weird, though? Like, there isn't so much about immigration in France, other European countries. It's not the same radic, but the US and, and the UK. The UK has kicked off and started off. Here's Lawrence Fox, you know, another one who you thought might have been, had a bit of sense. And he says, so he's showing a picture of those. That's clearly almost all of those flags are... Uh, <laughs> or Palestinian flags, and it's a demonstration, a protest or whatever, demonstration of support in London, and he says, we imported our own destruction. Farage is saying the same thing, yeah. This is... He looks, like, at, he looks at that and sees for, terrorists. For yeah. years and years and years, there have been pro... As Israel periodically slaughtered Palestinians in Gaza, launched attacks on yeah. Gaza, um, and in the West Bank, people in the UK, long-term pro-Palestinian... Supporters in the UK, in Ireland, in France, and a lot of European countries had marches like this when this, these kind of things would happen, and nobody said a word. Of course, the anti Hasbari uh, pro Israeli group would say these people are evil, blah blah blah. blah. But generally, it was accepted; had been accepted. It's it's a, it's a historically traditional European left wing socialist cause, mm. pro, being pro Palestinian, and it was fine. And a lot of people in like countries like Ireland and the UK. And France, majority of people, a lot of majority of people would have been sympathetic to it, but apparently now, the same protests for the same event, i.e., Israel attacking Palestine, is called by people like him, the 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 essence of the, the beginning of our own destruction, mm. because all these people now are apparently terrorists. Why? Because the media told them. Because of what they did in Israel. Because for the first time, Israelis on, in, in significant numbers were killed by Palestinians, whereas beforehand you had, I mean, you literally have tens of thousands of Palestinians over the past 20 years killed by Israel. Tens of thousands killed, the majority of them civilians. And nobody said a word. Israel, Israelis are not uh, terrorists for doing that. I mean, literally, it's as bad as what Hamas is alleged to have done last week. I mean, they're literally dropping massive bombs on apartment blocks and just blowing kids apart but Israel is never terrorist for doing that you know what I mean? that's why I don't talk to people about this because there is no sense not even the base and I'm not talking about partisan anything I'm talking about very very basic uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4 and everybody agrees right no we don't agree that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's like, okay then, I'm not talking to you. They, they've been led along <coughs> in stages by, by programming, and now it's complete, you know. Red Fox says, Douglas Murray, British commentator, is pushing for legislation to expel Hamas supporters from the UK. Um, he's gone off the deep end. Mm. That's, that's tame. In France, protests... It's, it's illegal to protest. They just passed a law. It's illegal to protest in support of Palestine. Um, in Germany, they've made it illegal to say the phrase, from the river to the sea, all of Palestine will be free. These are now anti-Semitic, added to the great big black book of anti-Semitism in Germany. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how far they're going to go with this, but the, the immediate knee-jerk legislative responses are troubling. You know, if they can go this far so quickly, imagine there's a and this if this escalates and goes further, basically, yeah. The, it, what it is is a tacit acceptance by the establishment. The establishment, all these right wing alternative voices are supposedly 
against because they're globalists, right? It's a tacit acceptance by the establishment that Israel's narrative on Palestine is the only one they will yeah. brook. Um, Which is, I mean, this is the week that if it, if it was still alive, democracy died in, in Western Europe. You know, when you have governments who are, you know, um, like deliberately facilitating massacre and genocide, a slow genocide and massacre of, of civilians, and at the same time... You're not allowed to talk about it. Crushing any dissent at the complicity from the population, crushing any, any dissent from the population at the government's complicity in this massacre and genocide. I mean, how about... I mean, it's... It's as bad as Nazi Germany. Probably. I wasn't there, so... Probably. Well, it'll be as bad as if they follow through with... No, without the word war. Deportations. I just mean... And, yeah. uh, and punitive. The tone of it is as bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is... A, look, it's not... It, it, was, it was this bad in COVID, too. Yeah. Um, in the end, they didn't put us in camps and jab us, but you know they wanted to. Um, so this is another expression, I suppose, of the totalitarian nature of Western governments today. They're, they're saying to you, we're th- they're, they're threatening to do it to you. Will they f- can they follow through? I don't think so. I think they're pussies, but um, we'll see. Yeah. So that's... That's I think it. that's, that's a, a brief synopsis. There's obviously other things we've got to talk about, but uh, we're going yeah, way we, too long. Yeah, we didn't really do it, but the, the, this, this will beg a, a future show where we try to parse out after, you know, six, seven years of generally being aligned with the right wing on most international and social issues. What, if anything, was a value? Because obviously we can't just all flip left right left right again you know clearly both sides have a, uh, a shot through with hysteria and bullshit and they don't all have the big picture so mm. maybe we can do a show on that another time yeah yeah so uh, do you know how copper wire was invented this better not have anything to do with the Jews two Jews fighting over a penny oh my god Ooh. Anyway, on that profoundly anti-Semitic note. Vile, vile. What would Jordan Peterson say? I would tell, I would say, I would just say, well, actually, that joke is actually told about Scottish people. And uh, and you just made, you made it topical for today's show. Well, no, it's like, it's, you can take your pick. Yeah. It's, it's equal opportunity, like, you know, just people who tend, tend to have, have a tendency towards being, being penny pension get that joke, you know, yeah. so... Big deal, you know, let's all have a laugh at each other. You know, it's funny, no, it's anti-Semitic. Oops, it's anti-Semitic. Anyway, let's go. Uh, we better leave before the, before the fucking Stasi come to the door. So, yeah, we hope you enjoyed the show, folks. We will be back next week with another one um, on, um, no doubt, no doubt, the nasty stuff that has been going down between now and then and how it has developed and where it looks like it's going. And we'll be bringing you our take on it at that time. So until then, uh, stay safe and... Um, I don't know. Don't talk to anybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, See you next Thanks week. for watching. Bye. Bye. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.